Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes upon you like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way. They shall have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule and your spirit our teacher. Father, your greater glory be our concern. Comfort those who need to be comforted by this message. Rebuke those who who need to be rebuked, Lord. Um, May your greater glory shine forth, and we ask these things in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so around the time I was in high school, there was this popular song that came out, and it actually probably became the unofficial class song of 2011, and more widely, I would say, it became a generational anthem. The song is called Young, Wild, and Free, and I'm going to read the chorus to you so you guys can kind of get an understanding of, of this song. It goes like this. And I have it memorized so I can look at you because it goes on and on. So what we get drunk, so what we smoke weed, we're just having fun. We don't care who sees. So what we go out, that's how it's supposed to be. Living young and wild and free. And so you see, you put a feel-good, fun beat behind this chorus and you all of a sudden have yourselves a smash hit. The reason for that is because who does not want to believe the lie that life is found in all the exciting things that are uh, associated with young, wild, and free living? One of the problems, however, among many is that this song touches on the illusion that we are free beings, free to live however we want without any consequences, The Bible clearly teaches that this is not true, right? Romans 6 tells us that we are either slaves to sin or slaves to God, a servant to death or a servant to life. You see, there's no middle ground there. While the world teaches us that life is found in everything uh, that is associated with young, wild, and free living, the Bible tells us That life is found in seeking after and acquiring wisdom. And wisdom is 
living in harmony with the created order. Or, to put it another way, wisdom is becoming a servant of the Lord and humbly serving and living in obedience to Him. And so the passage this morning that we just read confronts us with this reality. The question for the reader of Proverbs is, what are you going to choose? Are you going to accept wisdom's call and receive her gifts? Or are you going to reject wisdom's hand and eat the fruit of your own way? See, this is the question that you must reckon with as well. And I am here to tell you that because wisdom is the only way to life, you must accept wisdom's call if you want to live. And so last week, we saw that wisdom begins in the home. It's first taught there. We read that the parents were calling their child to remember their instruction, to be aware of uh, running with the crowd, running with those who um, are going after evil and uh, take advantage of others. Yet today, this morning, in this passage, we are met with another figure who is calling, and that's wisdom. And she is portrayed in the opening prologue of the, of the Proverbs as a fiery and attractive woman. She brings promises of good gifts, and she desires to be sought after and known. And we have to remember that the book of Proverbs is primarily written to an adolescent boy, and that's why there is this personification here. You've got to keep that in mind. The, the implied audience is very important for us because as we read the poetry of Proverbs, there are two women who are vying for the love of the intended audience. There is Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Lady Folly, you see, she is also attractive and she is exciting. She knows how to get the blood pumping. She flaunts the allure of reckless living. And we're going to learn more about her as we continue to to move through the prologue. But she represents all the false gods of this world, all the false promises, all of the idols that we have in our hearts, the illusion of freedom that we can live life consequent free or free of consequences. Anything that you run to, to escape the pain of this world that is not the Lord our God, that is Lady Folly. Lady Wisdom, however, here represents the Lord's wisdom. And I will also say that he uh, represents, she represents the Lord God himself. And now the reason why I say that is because if we look to the New Testament and we read 1 Corinthians one twenty four, Paul writes that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Shortly after that, he also writes that Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. But also, Jesus takes up this title for himself in the book of Matthew in chapter 11, in verse 19, where he says that wisdom is justified by her deeds, referencing himself as he is having this interaction with the, uh, with the Pharisees. And so, though wisdom here is personified as a woman, that doesn't make it a, a challenge to being the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to see it in that way because of the New Testament. But there's another reason why I'm convinced this has to do, and and that has to do with who God is. You see, God is a simple being, and what that means is that He can't be divided into parts. And we confess this all the time when we say that God is love, and God is wisdom, God is good. 
We don't say that God is made up of wisdom, made up of goodness, made up of love. He can't be made up of things because he is God. All things flow from him. As we read in Romans 11, verse 36, it says, For all things are from him, through him, and to him. You see, this is just the result of him being an infinite and perfect being, completely other than anything that we know of of ourselves. And wisdom is just one aspect of who he is. Therefore, this passage is actually the cry of the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow after Jesus Christ. And the personification is for the sake of the poetry, for the reader. And so I want you to notice, with that in mind, I want you to notice where wisdom is calling from. And that's going to be in the first few verses here. We read that she cries aloud in the streets, in the marketplace, at the city gates. You see, what we are reading is that the call to wisdom goes out to every part of the city. Whether it is the shameful and disgrace-ridden parts that are symbolized by the streets in the markets where uh, different cultures interact and people of different ages and stages. And even in the most prominent parts of the city symbolized by the city gates. No place escapes wisdom's call. And so for you, that means that you cannot go anywhere and outrun the call to wisdom. Because it comes from the Creator God. And it is loud and it rings loudly through the streets. It rings loudly through the dark parts of our mind. The dark parts of the internet. It rings through at your workplace. At your school. At your children's extracurricular activities. You see, wisdom is calling you to choose life. To live to display the glory of our God. And we also see in verse 22 that no person escapes wisdom's call. If you'll look with me to verse 22, we read, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? The fool, the simple, the scoffer, these are all important figures in in wisdom literature that we are reading. And they're all just descriptions of the different mental attitudes that we have and that we encounter with others. You see, the simple is the one who is happily naive to all that is going on around them, content to live for the moment, willing to try anything once, fearful of missing out on what is perceived as fun. Whereas the scoffer and the fool are committed to to living by the maxim, you can't tell me nothing. You can't tell them anything, you see. They are called fools because they are deliberately choosing to reject the fear of the Lord. Deliberately rejecting correction. Deliberately rejecting advice. Living however they see fit. But I want you to notice the grace here. Who is the call of wisdom going out to? It is going out to them. You see, the offer to true life and blessing is held out to all and it's held out to you. If you fit in one of these categories, the call to wisdom is for you. You see, that is the nature of God's love because the Bible teaches us that we are actually all naturally fools. Naturally, we love darkness rather than light. We just sang that. We love to do evil rather than doing good. That just means disobeying what God has put forth for us to do. We are by nature his enemies. 
slaves to disobedience and living life to however we think it should be lived. But instead, instead of throwing us out and letting us eat the fruit of our own way, the Lord calls us to himself. He calls you to accept his call to wisdom. He calls you to receive life. And so we read that there are also promises associated with heeding this call. If you will look to verse 23, we read, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And so we see that wisdom's call is not just a call to a different style of living, but in fact it is a call to something much greater. It is a call to new life. That is seen here by the promise of the Spirit. This is no other than the Holy Spirit who redeems us out of our foolish ways and gives us uh, and makes us into new creatures, who gives us new life. You see, the Holy Spirit guarantees us the hope of a future where all sad things become untrue, as Tolkien writes. You see, he is the one who makes us broken people whole. He makes enemies of God into children of God. And this, you see, is the promise here. He leads and guides you in the way of true freedom and true life. And he perfects us along the way. This is the promise that is given to those who heed wisdom. You see, there's this word here that is, uh, that is translated as turn. And when uh, in the Hebrew that is understood to be the word for repentance, that's, it carries that significance. And repentance is a turning away from and a running towards, right? And so what we're reading here actually is the promise of the gospel, You see, if you turn, if you turn from your wicked, God-hating ways and embrace Jesus, the wisdom of God, the spirit of wisdom will be poured out on you, given for you. Remember that wisdom is uh, living in harmony with the created order. What that means is that it begins with submitting humbly to the creator, to the one who created you, the one who knows you, the one who loves you. And it's what else is, is encouraging here that we can see is that um, apart from the spirit of wisdom, we cannot walk in the ways of wisdom. And so what does that mean? Well, what that means is that the more wisely you live, that doesn't increase God's love for you. In fact, it is God's love for you that enables you to live a wise life. It is God's love for you that makes you new. And so listen, the call to wisdom, this call to Jesus Christ and the promise for eternal life, it goes out to you. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not turn from Christ, but turn to him, fall into his arms. See, he says we don't need to fix ourselves up. We just need to turn to him. He knows you. And he loves you with a love that makes fools wise. That is the recreative work of the Lord our God, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So again, come, if you need to hear that, come just as you are. Accept Christ. Accept its true life. It is here for you. 
That is the call to wisdom in this passage. And so when you're faced with a choice of such immense importance as this, there's, there's, only, one, uh, there's only two options. And that's acceptance or rejection. Maybe or maybe later are just actually different ways of saying no. And we actually see that in this next section because it gives us some heavy warnings on what awaits those who reject wisdom's call. It's a heavy section. So look with me again to start uh, to verse 24. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. But they shall eat the fruit of their own way and have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. So if the call to wisdom is the call to life in the book of Proverbs, then naturally the rejection of wisdom is the choosing of death. And we'll see that play out, again, throughout the uh, prologue of Proverbs. But it's important that we remember that death is not a part of God's good creation. We need to remember that. The experience of calamity and terror, of distress and anguish, these all stem from Adam's rejection of God in favor of trusting Satan. That's what they stem from, not from our God. Adam refused to fear the Lord and the consequences were disastrous for all of creation. We feel them now. Sin and death were ushered into the world. And so what this section shows us is just the reality of what is to be expected for life outside of obedience to God. You see, again, the the imagery here gives some, some, um, adds this heaviness to these verses. Terror will strike you like a storm. Calamity will come upon you like a whirlwind. These aren't happy things. These are really heavy things. And, you know, we live on the Space Coast, and so we kind of know all about the destruction that these massive storms can bring to the the area around us. If you guys remember um, a few years ago when Hurricane Matthew was on its way over here, and it got up to be a Category 5 storm, and it looked like it was going to pass right over us. I mean, there there was fear in our bones. We were afraid, running around frantically. And if you were like me, and you heard Governor Scott uh, say that unless you evacuate, you're sure to die, well, that provided a lot of dread. That uh, That was a scary time. And so we see that this crippling terror, this utter helplessness, is the only thing that is guaranteed to be regular for those who are outside of God. For those who refuse wisdom, and it, because it is only the only thing that sin and, and death can deliver. The only way to escape, the thi- uh, to escape it is through Jesus Christ. 
And so we need to also see that calamity will come upon you like a whirlwind. That's, that's another heavy piece of imagery, and this piece of imagery is actually about divine judgment. You see, in the, book of, uh, the, in the books of the prophets, the Lord is often depicted as coming in judgment, as riding on the wings of the wind in order to do battle against his enemies, to do battle against sin and those who delight in that which brings ruin to his good creation. So there's a promised judgment that will come for all those who are opposed to God. And we read that there is this mention of laughing at calamity and mocking at terror. And that sounds pretty heartless. It's pretty tough to read. But in fact, as I was reading, um, doing some research for this, commentators were pointing out that it, it is in fact not in the sense of heartlessness as we would normally take it and read it. But it's actually meant to just show the sheer absurdity of rejecting wisdom. Because again, the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. He says that in Ezekiel 33, 11. But he does delight in his justice and his justice when it comes. It sets all things right again. It destroys sin. It destroys all that is wrong with the world. And you see, he has promised to bring his justice to bear. And that is part of the hope for those of us who are Christians. Again, all the sad things will become untrue. Sin will once and for all be destroyed. However, we Christians also experience this. We experience, you know, the the distress and anguish that comes from rejecting wisdom. And the, the reason for that is even though that we are still united to Christ... We aren't perfect yet. We still live in this present evil age where we have temptation and sin bombard us. There's the times where we refuse wisdom or to make the wise decision and we, we fall into sin. And in those moments, we, we taste the reality of death. You see, we taste it in the emptiness that we feel, the dissatisfaction that comes upon us, the self-hatred that it might come as it is again and again I fall into the same sin. The thoughts of worthlessness, the pain that you brought upon maybe someone else and the anger that comes from that or the pain that you have brought upon yourself and the despair that comes from that or maybe the, the pain that someone else has brought upon you and, and the anger that flows through your bones. All of this is a result of rejecting wisdom. It is a result of the reality of death and sin here now. But, Christian, I want you to be comforted because even though we experience these things, it is for our discipline. You see, when we are confronted with that, the question is, what am I going to do? Am I going to heed wisdom's call to turn at this rebuke from the Lord? Am I going to confess my sin and know that, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Or or in Psalm 32, the psalmist writes for us that I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Our God is a good and gracious God. And so we need to understand that this, these warnings here are actually a grace to us, a grace to the reader. Because he's not holding back, he's not pulling punches, he's telling you exactly what is going to happen, exactly what is bound for those who are um, 
who are consistent in rejecting wisdom is a tender warning to us because our God is a good God, but it's given with power because it comes from our God and it melts our hearts. You see, we need to understand that these warnings are not for us to turn from God, but in fact are to cause us to turn towards him. You see, he desires for you to know him. He desires to pour out his blessing and his goodness and his love into our hearts. That's what we've been created for. We've been created to enjoy the Lord our God, right? Glorify him and enjoy him forever, as the confession says. Or the shorter catechism. He is the one we've been created for. He is the one who has knit us together in our mother's womb. He is the one who knows all about us, numbered all the hairs on our head. And what's being said here is that he loves us. And you see, he, he graciously extends his hand. He graciously extends his counsel to us. He graciously calls you to turn and to receive life. Our God is a gracious God. And so, Christian, don't forget that this is your God. You see, he calls you to continue in the way of wisdom as well, to continue in growing in your sanctification, for that is his will. He wants to make you holy, right? And he has promised to do that. You see, living wisely and growing in wisdom is actually a way that we can display His glory to the watching world. It is living out the gospel. Pastor Jeff, you know, he he speaks all the time of our call to go out and to share the gospel. And if you're ever wondering how it is that you can do that, then look no further than the wisdom of Proverbs. Study this book. It teaches us how to walk in obedience to wisdom. And that is not antithetical to our faith, but in fact... It's actually an evidence of our faith. For when we are doing that, when we are seeking after the wisdom of of Proverbs, what we're doing is we're grasping on to the reality that I am not at home in this world. That all the promises that are found here, the promises of wild and free living are not for me. But in fact, I have a new hope. I belong to a different place. I'm a child of God. That's who he says I am. And so we need to keep these in, um, in our minds. We need to study the book of Proverbs and seek to live by them because you have been given new life. And this is a challenge because living by Proverbs is hard. It means I have to die to myself. It means I have to die to the desires that, that I want. It crushes us because it makes us realize that we're not in control of our own lives. But the promise that's held out is far greater. is to a, a new world, a new life, where all sad things become untrue. That is awesome. That gets me excited. That's why I keep saying it uh, today. Um, but as we continue also to live, to seek to follow after the ways of wisdom, we also become more and more aware of our desperate need for the spirit of wisdom that has been promised to be given to us. It helps us to see more and more of God's grace towards us because we just become consistently aware of of how difficult it is, of how badly we need a Savior. The good news is that the Savior has been provided in Jesus Christ. 
But we also need to notice the personal responsibility that is highlighted here. You see, we read that you refused, and it will be your calamity that comes upon you, and terror will strike you. There is no partial credit that is given here. It's placed solely on the individual. And so you are responsible for your response. The call is to turn to Jesus. Where is it that you run to look and seek after happiness? What are the things that you are putting your hope in for a happy and good life? Again, where do you go when you get angry? Where do you go when you get frustrated? If all the things that you are running to are not the Lord Jesus Christ, then listen to the warnings here. That All that can be expected is that for there to be calamity and terror. But know this. The call is, is still going out. His hand is still graciously extended to, to turn at the reproof of wisdom and to run to the Lord. And the good news, again, is that his return is imminent. He is going to come back and to destroy all that sin and death have, have um, brought ruin into this world. All of the, the problems that are stem from that. But, if you have not turned to him, we, we read here, it will be too late. There will come a point where you will call and he will not hear you. It's at the, when you stand before the throne in judgment. So that's why wisdom's call is so urgent here, you see. The consequences of wisdom are indeed terrifying, or of rejecting wisdom are indeed terrifying. But we need them to be terrifying because we need to be woken up. We need to be uh, shaken awake from our complacency. And we need to be alerted to the reality of life outside of God in a sin-wrecked world. But, but, that is not where wisdom's call ends. You see, there is an assurance of what is to be expected for those who listen and heed wisdom's call. We see that wisdom, or Jesus Christ, is your only hope for life. So look at verse 33. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is a beautiful promise that is given from wisdom. There is a promise that we will dwell secure. We'll be at ease. We will be without this dread of disaster. The promise almost sounds too good to be true, if you ask me. But the reality is, that is because that is exactly what I want. That is exactly what you want. That is what we've been created for. Remember, we weren't created to feel and experience the reality of the pain and sorrow that is in this world. That's not from God. We need to remember that. We weren't created to endure this. And so maybe though, Christian, as you read these words, you get frustrated because all for you right now is not dwelling secure. You don't feel at ease. Maybe you're feeling the internal strife as you wrestle between your flesh and your sin or your, the Spirit of God and sin. Maybe your finances aren't in the right position and so you feel the, the crippling fear of what's going to, to happen in the next few months. Or again, maybe your retirement isn't looking so good and, and the thing is the question of am I going to have to 
work for my entire life. Maybe there's strife within your home. Maybe there's strife between people here at this church. Maybe there is even um, strife within yourself, as I said earlier. You feel worthless because you keep falling into that same sin and you hate it and you wish if only that temptation was taken away, then I would be able to enjoy this promise. So how is it then? How is it that I can dwell secure? How is it that I can live without this dread of disaster? It's because of the who of wisdom. You see, Wisdom is not that set of principles to follow so that you will have a good life. Wisdom is, first and foremost, a person. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. He is the one who came to reconcile you to God, to lift you up out of the foolish ways, lift you up out of the sin-infested world, and to give you a new life. You see, he did that because he was the one who lived in perfect obedience to the Lord. And you know what? Even though he did that, this promise here in verse 33, he didn't get to experience here. Because what fell on him was the calamity and terror that is reserved for you and me, for any who would be outside of Christ. You see, when it came on him when he was nailed to that cross, exposed to the world for all to see, He was separated from the Father on our behalf. But, but, He rose again from the grave. He put to death sin and death. For those of us who trust in Him for that extended hand where life is found, it is there that there is a place where we are going, where there will be no more sin, no more death, no more dread for disaster. That is your reality now. That is the good news of the Gospel, you see. The promise of security and rest is is not, therefore, rooted in our obedience to God, but primarily in the Lord being our God. That is where it's rooted. Because, again, he is not against us, but he is for us. Right? He works all things together for the good of those who love him. All of history he moves together so that his glory will be made known and your good will be accomplished. That is the God we serve. He is the redeeming, awesome, almighty God of creation. And He is yours. And though we still face the distress here in this life because we face sin and temptation, I want to direct your attention to Psalm 18 and because I think that it helps kind of expand on this, the, the hope that is found here in these verses on how we can dwell secure and be at ease. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV version just because I like that one a little bit better. Uh, but listen along with me uh, starting in verse 6, and it'll be up on the screen as well. But we read this. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. 
Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew, and he soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. Great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the seas were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. Yet he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the God who is reaching out his hand to you. This is the God who will bring you to dwell securely with him in the new heavens and the new earth. For sin and death are no more, or all sad things become untrue. You see, Christian, this is the God who has taken hold of you. Worship him. Worship him through striving to live in obedience to his word. He delights in you. And so you may not be familiar with the song Young, Wild, and Free as I am, but maybe you remember a guy from the name by the name of Frank Sinatra who sang and boasted about um, all the greatness and freedom that is found in living life my way. You see, the wisdom of Proverbs directly contradicts this excuse me, directly contradicts his boasts. And um, it alerts us and lets us know that true freedom in life is not found in living life my way. But indeed, it is found in a person. It is found in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he promises rest and security because he is the king who's reigning on the throne. He can deliver on this promise. And you know what? Through his resurrection and his ascension, we have seen that this is true and certain to happen. He says, by keeping his commandments, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So make no mistake, his call goes out to you. Will you accept it? And Christian, know that this is your God. Worship him. Worship him in gladness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the almighty God, the creator of all things, that you know what is best for us, that you love and care for us. Father, I pray for those here today that they would know you as their God, for those who maybe forget to those who have never um, known you before, Lord, move out within our hearts. Turn us to see the beauty and glory that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And through your Holy Spirit, lead us in obedience to you so that we might live uh, with the hope of dwelling secure with you in, new, in the new heavens and the new earth. Let us go out this morning um, with joy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.